Greetings and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this is a weekly show that looks at my handpicked stories from InfoSec and technology and why they matter. Put out the show in two forms, the podcast, which you're listening to now, and the companion newsletter, which has all the stories, notes, and links for each topic. You can subscribe to the newsletter at danielmeisler.com newsletter. Okay, welcome to episode 51. Let's get started with information security news. The shadow brokers have released a new collection of content related to the Equation Group, which is the NSA hacking team, supposedly. And uh, this time, it basically involves a list of IPs uh, supposedly used by the group. So jump boxes uh, in various countries and that sort of thing. Uh, Pretty interesting. Homeland Security held a conference call with 18 majors internet service providers after the recent DDoS attacks. Uh, They're basically trying to work on a new set of strategies for securing IoT. Uh, That's that's their position anyway, and they're talking to a bunch of people about it. Question is, what will they be able to produce and how will they distribute it and mandate that it's used if they are going to use mandates? Already got a number of groups like FTC trying to do that same thing. So be interesting to see how uh, the top-down approach works. A researcher found a way to counter-hack incoming Mirai botnet connections to make them stop sending requests. So basically, there's a buffer overflow in the way that the the, uh, receiver, and this starts off as the sender, but it ends up being the receiver. Um, you can actually send back, uh, I believe it's some sort of, uh, well, it's an HTTP response that basically crashes the uh, the botnet uh, node that's sending you traffic. Um, a lot of people are saying, oh, this is super cool. And a lot of other people are saying, hold on, this is hacking back, um, you know, in air quotes and are, are upset about it. So there's that, that, uh, ever-present sort of argument about um, whether or not hacking back is legitimate or not. Some people say, well, yeah, I'm the victim, therefore I I have to defend myself. And others say it's not your place to do that. Uh, Me personally, um, I just realized someone might want to know my opinion. Um, Let's see. I, I would say in most cases, not. In, maybe in some cases, it could be okay. Um, in this one, I, I would say probably not. But I, I don't really have an opinion on it. Otherwise, I would have made a separate bullet point for it. Um, but yeah, interesting. Um, I, I've actually been watching a bunch of Mirai traffic. I uh, did a project yesterday and wrote about it, which I'll talk about in the next section. But uh, the Mirai stuff is just super cool, uh, watching the traffic come in. I mean, it, it's just very strange that within a couple of feet of where you are, which is the node where your incoming network traffic is, you know, you're being hit on this port for the thing that you're looking at in the news. So you read an article and it says the word Mirai, and right next to you, there are thousands of telnet requests coming in. Um, It's very strange to have the reality of the situation be so close and be so live on this this medium of the internet that everyone is is sharing and using. I I just find it fascinating. 
Booz Allen Hamilton is doing a comprehensive security review to try to restore its reputation as a vendor that can be trusted. So uh, both Snowden and this new NSA contractor uh, were busted for, uh, well, I guess Snowden wasn't, but um, they both stole NSA content from the NSA and they were both contractors for the same vendor. And, and I think there's maybe one or two more above these. So it's like a known joke that if, you know, it's, it's the Booz Allen Hamilton contractor is not to be trusted. So obviously they're, they have two choices. They could try to repair or they could just die. Um, so they're trying to prepare. They're bringing in this ex FBI person to uh, do a big investigation um, and a thorough security review and uh, basically top to bottom fix everything. And at which point they their marketing can then say, okay, we did a review. We've tightened our procedures. We're good to go. Uh, but the question of course will be, Will other agencies have moved in on their space by then? And will these companies that uh, or these agencies that they used to do business with, will they fully restore their trust in them um, and allow them to continue to thrive? I don't think so. I, I feel like it's pretty bad. But then again, this whole security thing, how bad federal security is, it, I guess it wouldn't surprise me if they didn't even care and they kept hiring them. Google Brain has invented two separate AIs that have evolved their own cryptographic algorithm to hide their communications from a third AI, which they also made. So basically they made Bob, Alice, and Eve and they told um, Bob and Eve, or it doesn't matter which which two. It told they told two of them, "Hey, the other one is the bad guy. I need you to communicate with each other in a way that the bad guy cannot understand." And they watched this evolution of of attempts to make uh, some sort of communication protocol, and they ended up with something that the third AI could not read. Uh, the researchers actually didn't understand it either. And they haven't done a deep analysis on it yet, but um, they haven't figured out exactly what was done. But I find it, um, well, very interesting and and awesome, first of all, that, that it happened that way. But um, it really, to me, supports the fact that this stuff is uh, can get out of hand a lot faster than people think it can. Again, that's that's just my impression based on this. Like, if you could just tell two things to accomplish a goal, they will do anything they can to do that, and then they come back with good work after some small amount of time. Uh, well, you have to worry about what else you're telling it to do, and you have to worry about what its capabilities are to actually accomplish that. My favorite example of this is Nick Bostrom. I think it's Nick Bostrom's. It might be someone else's. But it's an example of telling an AI to make paper clips. And because it has access to a factory, it builds a bunch of robots, kills all the humans, harvests every single piece of metal in the entire planet over the course of hundreds of years. And when aliens come to visit, they just see giant stacks of warehouses full of paper clips. 
And in fact, the alien that shows up, I think this was my addition, um, the, the paperclip AI bots, they start sending out distress signals. You know, our sun is blowing up. You know, we ran out of whatever plants. We're humans. We're in, in grave danger. So the aliens show up to rescue uh, humans. And it's actually a trick. It's just the paperclip race. They capture the ship, <laughs> turn them into paperclips. Um, and then and then go find where they came from and turn that whole race into paperclips as well. So it's like, you just got to watch what you tell an AI to do. Um, it might not be able to do it just intellectually, but it, but it also might not have the resources because it can't physically interact with the world or whatever. But not enough people, and this is what Nick Bostrom's sort of approach is all about, is not enough people are thinking about those things. They're just kind of enabling at, at all costs. Oh, yeah, give it more. Give it more. Oh, yeah, hook it up to a 3D printer. Oh, yeah, do this. And eventually, that that could be harmful. Palantir, the data mining uh, company out of Silicon Valley, is close to going public. I love this technology. I find it super interesting. It, to me, my understanding of it, and not an expert on it, but my understanding of it is basically it, it's used by the military a lot um, and government a lot. The idea is to be able to like read the Twitter firehose and try and predict where the next uprising is going to be, or the next you know mob breakout, or or a riot, or a uh, a coup, or something like that. So I mean, it's big data analysis with a very strong focus on prediction, which, as I've said before about AI, that really is the name of the game is prediction, but uh, they've had it as part of their DNA from the very beginning, and evidently they're getting close to going public, so that's exciting. Uh, some researchers are extracting keystrokes by monitoring like Skype and other types of VoIP. So basically, uh, you're on a Skype call, you're talking, you're also typing. And uh, of course, the call is picking up the keyboard sounds. And no one thought that that would be possible to discern what was actually being typed. Turns out that's not the case. Um, and this research basically has uh, people extracting uh, actual sentences and content uh, based on analyzing the VoIP stream. Very, very cool stuff. All right, technology news. Uh, Microsoft launched a Surface Studio desktop, which looks like a giant folding iMac. Um, very cool looking thing. It, the other cool thing about it is it has this, uh, this rotating circular like mousey type deal. So it rotates while you're drawing with a pen or using your finger. It's just like, looks like a very futuristic and interesting um, user interface for doing creation. And the demo video was fantastic. It seemed like it was just massively ripping off of Apple when it first opened, but you could sort of see it diverge and have its own character um, just a few seconds in. Um, really well done. And actually, it this was all done the day before the Mac event. Then the Mac event came out, um, and a lot of people thought that the Microsoft one was better. Um, 
But yeah, really strong offering hardware-wise from Microsoft. Um, yeah, so the next day, Apple launched their MacBook Pro with a few key changes. Um, I, I thought it was a strong release, my opinion. I'm an Apple person anyway, so but I'm a Microsoft person as well. And I like a lot of stuff Google's doing. Um, I'm a huge fanboy for the for the Amazon stuff, especially the AI stuff. So, um, I mean, I'm in lots of camps, including the Apple one. So, uh, hopefully, this is not too biased. But the um, I like the fact that it's thinner and lighter. That's fine. Um, the design is supposedly a little bit nicer and better, just improved, which I would expect. Uh, the trackpad is much bigger. I'm not sure how much bigger we need to have a trackpad. Eventually, the whole bottom of the damn it thing will just be a giant trackpad, and it'll do like wrist detection to know when not to pick it up. But um feels like we almost need that now with the new size that they just released. But anyway, trackpad is bigger. Uh, they removed the function keys, including like the escape, the, ho the whole top bar. They removed... Um, all of that. And they now have a touch interface there um, in its place. Now, the way I describe this is very simple. They removed very old function keys that very few people use and replaced it with a contextual interface. Okay, so <clears throat> context it's touch. That's fine. It's a touch interface. No big deal. Turns out it's actually a watch interface and actually has its own separate chip. And it, it's basically uses a lot of the same technology as the Apple watch. doesn't matter. It's a touch interface. It's multi-touch up to 10 fingers. Not sure why you would use 10 fingers on that thing. But <clears throat> the point is that in my mind, you've taken an old sort of deprecated area and turned it into a contextual one. What I love about contextual is very simple. You are in whatever app, you're in Vim, you're in terminal, you're in your browser, or you are in, uh, I don't know, whatever else you use on your Mac. Oh, Photoshop. But while you are in those applications, and as you do different things in them, that bar is changing. So you have an adaptive keyboard. That, that's all this is, right? It's an adaptive keyboard. Now, the main keys that you have, which are letters and numbers, those don't change. The enter key doesn't change. The space bar doesn't change. But it seems very logical to me to have an adaptive keyboard, an adaptive entry, an adaptive input system into your notebook. So what they've done is take a very small portion of the traditional keyboard, which is least used, and turn it and made it adaptive. They made it contextual. Like this is not controversial to me. It makes complete sense. Um, and I, th I think it sounds like a fantastic idea. Then the last part is on the right side where the power button is top, right, where traditionally where they have it. Um, it's actually the power button. I think it's changed in some way. It's not a tactile button because it's on that same bar that got replaced. But it's also now a touch ID, just like on the phone where you press the button and it's the power button. Actually, it's not the power button. Um, 
It's a home button. But anyway, the power button and the touch ID are integrated, right? So um, you actually log in with your fingerprint. Um, you And you can uh, switch users with your fingerprint. And they've integrated the the ability to buy things um, through the Apple Pay web or online version um, by using your thumbprint. I, I'm not sure that makes sense compared to the watch, um, but I guess if you're already there on the keypad and someone asks to pay, you just barely move your finger over and uh, you make the purchase there. I, I personally think that Okay, so so here's the reason people were upset. The RAM didn't go from 16 to 32. That that bothered me. I I wanted more RAM. They they basically just said they couldn't do it because it would take too much battery life. So hopefully next couple of years the battery life will improve. Hopefully in a in a major way, and we'll be we'll be able to get like 32 gigs of RAM uh, in a MacBook Pro. But they're also trying to make it smaller and thinner, which I think they need to stop with that. I feel like they, they went far enough with small and thin. But um, I, I think that people so, – so there's a whole bunch of people online who are like, you know what, it, Mac just they, – they jumped the shark. I can't use this thing. I don't like dumb touch bars. Um, I'm going to go back to someone who has good values and a solid laptop. And I can get twice the computing power for half the price. And I'm going to go get me a high quality, whatever, Lenovo. And I'm going to run Linux on it. And I'm just like, yeah, 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 you you absolutely are for 2.1 weeks. And then once you've learned 75 more cuss words, you will take that thing back, which they won't take it back because they don't care anything about you. They just sell dumb PCs. They won't listen to you. There's no one there who knows anything. Whoever you bought it from, um, maybe you assembled it yourself. You got it online, but there's crap for customer service. Um, but let's say you do take it back and you go buy something else from some other vendor. The odds are it's going to be garbage. Okay. I mean, this is, we forget that all laptops were garbage. And I mean, I haven't used many others besides Macs recently, but I'm willing to bet that most laptops are still garbage. And when you use them, especially when you get a giant bulky one with lots of RAM and lots of graphics and lots of all this stuff to replace a MacBook Pro, I don't think you're going to get the same experience. Um, It'll be better in some ways, no doubt. I, I mean, lots of different companies in different ways do stuff better than Apple. That's obvious. But I think the minor things, the subtle things, the things that we come to expect from Apple simply won't be there. And they will cause mass frustration and and uh, basically violence. I, I think a whole bunch of people are going to leave MacBook Pro. They're going to be like, oh, I hate this stupid laptop. And then go and buy one or two of these things. And then one, you know, 12 months or 18 months later, they're going to come back to the MacBook Pro and be like, man, this thing's got, oh, I guess the touch interface is okay. Man, it just works. And I love the OS. And suddenly they remember why they love all this stuff and why Apple is good. Even if they don't even like any of the features that they brought out, 
They'll just like the base experience. They'll realize all the bad stuff about Linux. They'll realize all the bad stuff about whatever PC maker it was. Um, now, that could be not true. Maybe over the last five years, everything has gotten dramatically better and Linux is dramatically better and, you know, they're going to leave and they're never going to come back and Apple's going to be screwed. I don't think that's going to happen. All right, enough of that one. Um, Tesla de debuts new solar roof tiles that work in conjunction with their new PowerPack 2 home energy storage unit. This is, I feel like this is like the tech story. I mean, we released a new desktop and a new laptop. That's ridiculous. He just released all these new roof tiles, which look amazing. And they plug into this new uh, PowerPack home energy unit. I mean, I want to I buy or build a house just so I can have the stuff in it. I want, I want to sell power back to the grid. Like, I just think that would be amazing. I, I just think this is the coolest stuff going on right now. The capturing and storage of energy from the sun. I, I, don't, I don't know of anything that's cooler than that. And he's just kind of doing it along with the car thing. And... Oh, I guess we're going to Saturn next week or whatever. Like, the guy's amazing. All right, so that was that. Oh, the Power Pack 2 stores double the energy of the original Power Pack. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, Apple has exited the display business. So during their uh, MacBook Pro event, they highlighted um, some displays from LG, like uh, 5K... 27 inch LG monitors turned out to be like 1500 bucks though. Kind of expensive. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, they're, they're out of displays, which, which is good. Um, so I could start looking to buy something else. Cause I was waiting to see if they're going to put out a new one. Also kind of means they're not going to have an Apple TV. They're just going to stay with the, with the box and the software. Uh, seems logical. Um, so we have no idea. This is a new story. So we have no idea basically how neural networks um, and deep learning actually works. We we see it working. We see the, the basic uh, outline of the logic, but we don't know how a, a deep learning system gets from one solution to the next and to the next. Uh, so this new technique... <clears throat> which I have the link for here, um, actually um, <clears throat> actually gives some uh, analysis of, of what that looks like. They, they're trying to fully understand how it works with the hope that understanding it will help them improve it. Um, I, I find it fascinating that deep learning and AI and neural networks and machine learning are all these massive buzzwords and we actually don't know how they do it. I, I think that's uh, really interesting. All right. Twitter has canceled its Vine product and is laying off around 300 people as part of its restructuring. 
Uh, it looks like the people who were going to buy it, you know, Salesforce and Disney and these other groups, um, didn't. Uh, and who knows if if the, those talks are still uh, going, or if there will be more, you know, in 2017. But it looks like they're getting ready to go, you know, just be solo through to uh, 2017, and they're just kind of restructuring, and getting ready for that, which I I think is fine. I uh, I want to see them do well. I think they are basically uh, global infrastructure at this point. And I think they're somewhat safe, even though they're not doing great, because they are so... Um, it, I mean, you don't see Facebook IDs on CNN and, and Fox News, I, I don't think. Definitely not as much as Twitter. I feel like it's more infrastructure. Um, all right, engineers working on an ultra low power transistor system that can basically function in IoT devices um, by scavenging energy. So it, the way it captures energy, reuses it, amplifies signal, um, these transistors are just really, really efficient and have some novel ways of making use of tiny amounts of energy. So the idea is that. Um, you could just have them out there, I, I don't know, getting exposure to the sun or I'm not sure how they're they're uh, salvaging this energy. Maybe it's heat from the actual function of the, of the device. But one of the quotes in the article, and this might have been hyperbole, but uh, basically said that if we had a power from a AAA battery, we could function for a billion years. So I don't know, you know how things are taken out of context in these kind of articles, but um, that's a lot of efficiency. I mean, I didn't want to say that the battery wouldn't last for a billion years, but I think I get the point. All right. Um, <clears throat> wireless carriers are building entirely new networks for IoT devices uh, because of basically three constraints, battery life, cost, and coverage issues. So... Evidently, and I don't know if this is like nationwide or this is like purpose built for certain areas or what, but evidently entirely new networks are being built just for IoT and embedded in, you know, quote unquote, permanent systems, also permanently vulnerable. So <clears throat> maybe that's uh, another one of the constraints. All right. That was technology. Let's go into human news. Only got one story, which is fascinating. So Aboriginal Australians and Pacific Islanders um, evidently carry DNA of an unknown human species, not Neanderthal and not Denisovans, which I didn't even know what those were, but um, I knew it's some variation of Neanderthal. But uh, yeah, so the theory is the group uh, came out of uh, Sahul, which is the supercontinent that used to include Tasmania, Australia, and New Guinea around 50,000 years ago. Really interesting stuff. All right. Ideas, trends, and concepts. Got a number of these uh, this week. So first one, the power of bottom-up which is evolution versus top-down, which is design. And I'm going to pull up the post real quick so I can look at it. All right, so this is a post I just did. Um, 
which I've been thinking about for like two or three weeks uh, ever since I went to London. And um, the idea came out of this book or, or crystallized after this finishing this book, uh, The Evolution of Everything. And basically what it comes down to is that I'm seeing in so many different areas of, of what I've studied and learned and written about and the various books that I've read, the whole concept of bottom up and enabling people being so much more powerful than thinking you can design perfection or have a few people at the top have an idea and propagate it down through the masses and have it be effective. Now, that idea is so powerful, the difference between those two, that it kind of permeates all thinking once you get going with it. Um, so what I've done is I put together some examples. Uh, so number one is empowering people. So uh, it, it has to do with uh, Google study. Or reminds me of Google study where they found out that good teams weren't the ones that, that had, uh, you know, graduates from certain schools or that had good grades or that um, did well on interviews. There was actually no correlation they could find with grades or interviews or schools. Um, the best performing teams actually had this concept where the managers were empowering the people and protecting the people from the outside and making it so that the people were friends and family, like internally. They built each other up. They covered each other's backs. Um, they didn't, you know, attack each other or try to step on each other's heads to get to the next position. Um, those things activated their creativity, brought down their fear and anxiety, and kind of blurred the line between personal and work. And... People love to work on those teams. And it turns out those teams were the ones who performed the best at Google, right? And there's a bunch of other studies that collaborate, uh, corroborate, uh, corroborate that, support it, back it up. Um, so, I mean, I had read a bunch of those, but the Google one really had an impact on me. So that's people, right? Then... Um, then there's the fact that AWS was actually created. This amazing idea, which everyone is using, um, was created to empower their own developers. They wanted their developers to be able to self-start, to self-empower, right? So they went and built these services, and now everyone's using them. Um, Netflix, um, they have a, a giant army of developers who can push code into production whenever they want. They don't have any security checkpoints. You trust the developer. You empower them. They have massive amount of responsibility. You mess up too many times, you get fired, right? Um, and if you mess up on a Friday, you work on the weekend. So turns out they don't push code into production, you know, uh, after lunchtime on a Friday because they don't want to work on the weekend. Um so the responsibility and the empowerment go together, but you're activating the bottom. Um, diversity in the workplace. So, so many companies, I mean, we're just now figuring out that, hey, half the population is female. And maybe we should get their ideas too, because they're awesome. And you don't take, it's like evolution. That's why it's 
the, the title is evolution. It's why the title of the book was evolution. You don't take genes out of the gene pool, meaning the ideas of women or whoever else you're not including, young people or old people or people of different ethnicities. You don't take these ideas out and hope for good things to happen. You're not, you're not going to have as good of things happen if you're not including everyone and getting their ideas, mixing them up into, uh, in, into the pool of ideas and having mutation occur, right? So it's descent with modification. You couple that with natural selection, which is basically uh, submitting the output to a test environment which is, does the customer like it or whatever? Does it make money? Whatever it is. But that's reality. Reality crashes down on the mutation of these ideas uh, from all these various inputs. And you iterate. Um, It's actually very, it's what DevOps is in a lot of ways. Um, Or DevOps is very related at least. Um, So that's diversity. Then you have blockchain. Blockchain is basically a distributed ledger, which you could put all sorts of things on. With Ethereum, you're doing a distributed ledger of value, value exchanges, uh, contracts, things like this. Um, And these are peer-to-peer, right? These are peer-to-peer. This is attacking the concept of the middle person, of the institution in the middle that sits between two value creators and takes money. So... It's fascinating to see that all these things are moving from centralized, from institutional, from top down to more of a peer-to-peer model that doesn't require that middle person, right? The next one, the gig economy. That's obvious. This is the most obvious one. It's extremely peer-to-peer. Its whole DNA is peer-to-peer. And the idea here is that in my belief, and this is what I'm writing about in, in my book, is that the every the, the economy for people is going to be the gig economy. Every service that you're able to render, every skill that you have, including make, making people laugh and cat sitting on Saturdays, like all these things will be broadcasted and rated and uh, available to billions of people And you'll have algorithms in the middle that connect these. So you won't have these big companies in the middle who are like, I'm going to hire you and I'm going to connect you with this person or whatever. It's going to be a tech layer and it's going to be people talking to people through through AI, through their digital assistants, which is another topic. Um, But then next bullet point here, self-government, right? Why... Why do we need these giant institutions to to tell us what to do, to push down uh, big ideas that hopefully work? Uh, the idea here, I mean, I'm a progressive guy. I, I do see a role for government, absolutely. Um, the the big, big reason I don't see self-government sort of fixing everything is because of things like cigarette commercials on TV and uh, – uh, there's a couple of other examples, but um, I think I'm moving much, much more towards the concept of enabling and freedom and responsibility um, of the people and having 
still having the bumpers on the side, you know, in the bowling sort of analogy, right? Uh, or metaphor. So you have the bumpers on the side, which are like the cigarette commercials, which say, yeah, you, you're not allowed to do that because that's immoral. So you have like these grossly immoral things that you're not supposed to be doing or whatever for just an obvious reason that everyone agrees with. Fine, you can have a rule. But in general, you let everything self-police. You let it happen through evolution. You let it happen through people exchanging ideas and value at the lowest level with the least amount of institutional and government required. Um, so that's another example of bottom-up versus top-down. And the last one, universal demonization, which is what I'm writing about, which is basically the infrastructure that this would sit on from a technological standpoint. Um, the idea has me completely charged up because every time I think about a new thing, I think about it with this lens and I realize how much bottom up versus top down is like a universal narrative that we can use to understand things. All right. So that was that one. That was the first one. Holy crap. We need to get through this. Um, all right. How AI will improve human customer service right before it kills it. So um, one interesting thing that happened with Uber <laughs> was Uber comes out and suddenly taxi drivers are nice. <laughs> that was a miracle. I'm like, that's the best thing Uber ever did. They made ta taxi drivers actually give a shit and notice that you're a human. Um, because before you would get in the cab and they would basically spit on you. Right. And you're sitting in a puddle of who knows what anyway. And they're just cussing at you while they're driving. There's, you know, swerving side to side and bashing your head against the window. This is most of my cab rides, like in Vegas. Um, and then you leave and they spit on you again. And if you don't have cash and you pull out a credit card, well, just, just protect yourself because they will physically attack you. Um, yeah, horrible, horrible experience in, in basically all cabs. Um, then in Vegas is one of the, uh, you know, DEF CON black hat type deals. And we go there and Uber had just arrived. I get into a cab, which I'm pissed because it's not an Uber. I get in, they're like, Hey, how's it going today? I'm like, I'm looking around for the camera, like, which they do have a camera there. I'm like, okay, who are you performing for? I'm like, no, I just want to know, uh, you know, how your day is and if everything's going well. I'm like, yeah, super. Everything's going well. Uber must have arrived. No, I didn't say that. That would have been rude. But it has an effect, right, when you see the writing on the wall. So getting back to the point, customer service. Customer service is atrocious in most places, in most cases, you call online to get something shipped or returned or there's a problem or whatever. They don't care about you. Um, and they're not doing a good job. And it's not even their fault. It's, it's the company's fault. They're not training them. They're not paying them well. Uh, probably working them crazy hours. The whole thing's just broken. Well, AI is going to fix it. It's going to fix it right before it destroys it. So AI is going to show up. It's going to have some bad options. Right? It's going to have robot voice that doesn't understand everything. And that's going to be bad. Um, and they'll just laugh at that one. 
but then it'll get good and it'll start working. And then they're like, oh crap, we need to up our games or we're going to lose our jobs. We need to beat the robots. So for a few months or a couple of years, customer service is going to get really good in like 2018 or 2019. It's going to be amazing. And then they'll all get fired because it's cheaper to buy the robots. And what's crazy about um, this, and I don't mean robots actually sitting in chairs, right? It's just machine learning and voice uh, interactions. But um, what's crazy about it is when you train a human, you've only trained that human, right? And the train the trainer thing, it works a little bit, but not really that much. When you train an algorithm, you just share the data with the other algorithms. So like if something works amazing for Walmart, uh, you could sell that to Target and it's going to work pretty damn well. And that distributes very easily. So you can have a company who masters the, the algorithms of doing customer service well, in particular little sub uh, parts of the industry. And you could propagate that. You could sell it to them and be like, look, they just raised their uh, customer service satisfaction rate by 43% because they turned on this switch right here. It's going to cost you $58,000 a month. And they're like, that's 100% worth it. Let's do it. And there you go. The, instantly, they turned on the switch. And now, whatever, a, a workforce of 200,000 perfect customer service agents just got upgraded via machine learning algorithms. Um, that is not possible with humans. Um, the machine le learning algorithms will not sue you. They will not call in sick. Um, not yet anyway. That's later when the matrix happens. But um, yeah, fascinating stuff because, well, again, the whole point of this bullet and the, the post associated with it is you get a bump, right? You get a bump from the taxis and you get a bump from the customer service people when they see the headlights. And then there's no more bumps after that because the car runs over them. All right. Um, Microsoft, Amazon, and Facebook can only go so far without a mobile play. So this one um, I wrote last night, and this is really about... Uh, it's about the fact that if you... <laughs> the future of computing is just talking to your computer. You know, you'll have some tiny inside your ear, let's call them AirPods, but better without the little thing hanging out. And you just talk or you do a gesture or you touch your ear or whatever. And you just talk to your assistant. You say things like, you know, um, order Susan flowers. You say, um, where should I eat tonight? You say, how long will it take me to get home? You say, take me home. You say, give me a ride. You say, send, tell me if I've missed any important emails. You just talk, right? And it happens. Well, if you are Facebook or Amazon or Microsoft and you have all these amazing products, but you're not mobile, you don't have a mobile operating system and any sort of mobile app that you have is fighting with operating system options, um, it, you're writing on the back of an operating system that has its own solution for what you're trying to do. So who do you think is going to win that? Right? I mean, you could be like, hey, um, can I listen 
when someone asks for a ride and Google's like, no, <laughs> because Waze is going to give them a ride and Google Assistant is listening to them and you're just a dumb app on the phone. So stop bothering me. And that's going to be the case until they have a mobile platform. But what does that mean? That means we're going to have Amazon phones and we're going to have Facebook phones and we're going to have Microsoft with Cortana. I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that things that live in apps, I did a talk on this for a customer recently. Uh, things that live in apps like location services or uh, transportation services. When you say, you know, give me a ride home. Okay. Right now that's an app that's Uber, but it's moving into the OS. So Microsoft or uh, Facebook needs to worry that everything that's cool in their app will eventually move inwards, right? It always starts off as like an app on the outside that does a fringe thing. Then it moves into a social platform, which is what Facebook is. Then it comes all the way to the center, which is mobile operating system. And that's kind of the trend, um, which means if you don't have a mobile operating system, uh, you can't really win because you don't win at work. You don't win with a home solution or a work solution or a data center solution. You work with an ecosystem. That That is... That is what's going to make a company successful. And only Google and Apple have that right now. All right. Um, DevOps is fundamentally about practice and improvement. This is a really interesting idea. I'm not sure it's 100% correct, but it is an interesting idea. Uh, recommend you check that out. Link is there. Um, on Apple's innovation and quality, I think I mostly talked about this one in the tech news section, so I'm going to skip this one. Uh, see what Facebook thinks of you. This is a really cool um, deal. You can actually pull up in your Facebook settings and look at the ad settings and see what subjects it's presenting you ads about. And if you don't like those subjects because it's like Axe Body Spray and whatever, the real housewives or whatever it is. And you're like, yeah, that's not me. Guess what? That is you. Um, because <laughs> that's what they're serving you ads based on because that's what you're actually clicking on and spending time looking at. So whatever you see there, if you don't like it, it's an opportunity for introspection. All right. Um, the future rate of, a future of automated value exchange for online content creators. So this is a very basic theory that our digital assistants in the future will be monitoring our reactions our, our what we're looking at, how excited we are about content, whether or not we're laughing or reading or saying, Hmm, you know, some sort of pensive looking sound or sounding sound sounds hardly ever look any particular way. Um, but they will be monitoring us. We'll be looking at the content. And instead of ads, the whole concept is ads are broken. Instead of ads, what we'll have is a budget, like the way Flatter has been doing this for years. We'll have a budget of, say, $50 a month. When we say, hmm, and look at something, and, we see, and it sees that we read it for seven minutes, and it also sees that we tweet it out, 
and say, oh, this is amazing. Well, we assign that content creator a micropayment out of our budget. So the idea is our digital assistant will be divvying out our budget based on how much we enjoyed things. And we will tell our digital assistant what we value the most. So I want to learn about new ideas that make me think differently about things. Um, someone else might want to laugh a whole lot, you know, because they're 16, they look at college humor a lot. Um, and the thing that makes them laugh the most is what they want to pay the most for. So that's their content or their appreciation distribution model. But uh, this is the next uh, plan. This, this is the next system that's going to replace. Actually, I don't know if it's the next one. Okay, it, it, it is the ultimate one, though. It, it is the ultimate one where our value and our attention is gauged and it's given out that way. Because um, currently, it's just basically you, you hit the ad, it's easy to spoof, and you have the, the multi-tier model. You have the advertiser, you have the, uh, the, the company who's, who's paying for the ads. Um, it's just a messed up model. And the fraud is just ruining it. Um, people aren't really talking about how bad it is, um, but it's really messed up. So I was kind of thinking about what is the next solution or the ultimate solution. That, that's what this one is. All right. Um, let's see here. Facebook talks about how they um, automate the continuous restores on their databases. This is super cool. Um they don't just automate backups. They automate the restores. That is amazing. Um, this goes to my whole concept of resilience over prevention. Um, and I think it's going to get way more popular, especially with DDoS and uh, ransomware. This is great for ransomware, right? Uh, imagine having a product that says you are extremely safe with your um, data, because not only have we backed it up, but we keep doing restores and you could switch over to it at any time. And we're 100% sure of that because we've done the restores and they all check out. Very cool stuff. Um, all right, here's a very cool article that basically says Tim Cook is just like Steve Ballmer because he's good at executing and increasing revenue but he misses major tech trends. So Balmer missed mobile. And this article is saying Cook missed AI. I don't know if it's true. I, I didn't even read the whole thing. Um, but it is a really interesting idea. Uh, basically, it's, it's talking about the difference between innovative CEOs versus execution CEOs. And that innovative vision CEO shouldn't put Ex, um, executing CEOs in charge because they'll just optimize the hell out of everything, but not make anything new. So uh, interesting concept. Again, I'm not sure it's true for, for the current situation, but it's uh, worth reading. Um, all right. This piece is talking about how battery technologies, because so much of the credit markets and the economy as a whole is based on the high price of oil. The more you have renewable and battery technologies taking over and getting more efficient, you could actually be potentially harming trillions of dollars 
um, in the credit market. Fascinating piece. Uh, oh, here's one on how startups should solve specific problems and not get caught up in general problems. So one of the things it talks about is you'll start off as a startup and you'll be all about, I want to solve this, this, and this, and customers will love us because that's what they ask for. But then you have a bunch of whatever whiteboard conversations and pretty soon you're solving, um, oh, the problem is online is not engaging enough. We need to solve the online engagement problem. And now you're whatever, whatever the metaphor is, uh, down a rabbit hole or up against a wall, uh, whatever you want to use, you're solving a problem that can't really be solved by a startup necessarily in any, you know, reasonable amount of time. And you might be putting the company in danger. Um, all right. Why a lot of people and uh, Andy Stern in this case are predicting up to 5 million human jobs being eliminated by artificial intelligence by 2020. So it's not super far off. I mean, we're about to go into 2017. 2020 is very close to about 5 million jobs. And it'll only go up from there. We're talking about uh, tens or, I don't know, what's after tens? Dozens of millions of jobs. We're talking about transportation and customer service going away. That <clears throat> That's what we're talking about. And those are the two jobs with the highest number of people. There's millions and millions of people. This is like something, I, I don't know the actual numbers, two thirds or three quarters of the entire workforce. That's what it is. So fascinating stuff. I would definitely read that. Um, recommended links. Evidence that uh, Guccifer 2.0, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correct. Uh, 2.0 is Russian Intel. This is from uh, the Gruck, who's an awesome uh, analyst. Uh, absolutely awesome. Um, very focused on intelligence. He's in the InfoSec community, but uh, truly security research, uh, open source intelligence, intelligence services. He writes about that stuff all the time. Um, and this is a really good thing. Basically saying, yeah, it is Russians. Uh, cybersecurity base with F-Secure. This is a weird name. I don't know why they called it this, but there's a new uh, information security course uh, set. It's actually a set of courses from uh, University of Helsinki and F-Secure, and they're free. And I got the link there. Look pretty cool. Um I did a post recently on online GOIP lookups using ipinfo.io. So if you ever want to, you just send a get request to uh, to the API and um, you get back exactly where it is. It uses basically probably MaxMind. I have no idea what they're using, but get back the same data that you get back from MaxMind. Very cool service. Um Oh, and yeah, I was monitoring some uh, Mirai botnet traffic and I wrote a script and created a GitHub project called, I don't know what I called it, Honey Cred IP Analysis or something like that. Um, 
but I have a link to it in the post. And basically what it does, is just um, finds the top IPs. So it sorts them and uniques them, uh, collects them into the most common, and then gets the, uh, gets the country for that. And then it sorts by country. Um, and then I do the same thing for credentials to, to find the most common credentials that are being sent to the listener. And this is using uh, Robert Graham's uh, Telnet logger daemon, which basically listens long enough to capture the credentials and then it shuts down and waits for the next one. Really cool uh, little project that he did. Um, Brucon 2016 videos are up. Uh, i got a couple tools here. Kayak, uh, CAN bus analysis tool. CAN spy, a CAN bus auditing platform. And a link to a cognitive bias cheats uh, cheat sheet, which I love these things, tells tells me all the different ways I make mental errors. Um, all right, tips, announcements, and miscellaneous. Uh, if you're worried about the new MacBook Pro not having an escape key, you should have already mapped your escape function to JK. So when you're on your home keys, you just go index finger to middle finger, boom, boom, JK, JK. And that's how you escape. I've been doing this for years and years. It's fantastic. I don't like the escape key. Um, I have to rent a car to to move that far up into the left. It doesn't make any sense. Um, so this is yet another reason to move to JK for, for Vim. Um, all right, collecting links using the Safari reading list. This is just a little trick I put together. Uh, when I collect links, actually, for, for this uh, show. Uh, how I produced this podcast. I did a, did a um, little write-up on that. How to unlink Microsoft OneNote from the cloud for security reasons. Um, so I did a little write-up on that. It, really annoying. Basically, a lot of these services that used to be local, they moved to the cloud. Then all the content that you create automatically gets saved in their cloud. Now, if you do customer work, which who doesn't, and you're doing anything sensitive with them, documenting issues or vulnerabilities or sensitive conversations or whatever it is, you don't automatically want that to be synced, um, where if you're not a security person, you might not even know it's going there. Now it's being backed up. Now it's, you know, copies on the moon and, and Mars or whatever, um, and in 700 different data centers on Earth. It, it doesn't makes sense to not let people know that this is happening and that their data could be wherever. Um, I think when you first enroll in something like that, it should be a, a big red pop-up that says, look, if this stuff is sensitive, it will be going to the cloud. And obviously I know why they don't do that. Marketing told them not to, or whoever told them not to, the PMs. Um, but people need to realize where there's a cloud backend you need to watch where your sensitive data is being stored. All right. And last one. Uh, yeah, I'm experimenting with the format of the show. Yeah, so I said this last week as well. Um, so I'm messing around with how many stories. Uh, so I thought this was going to be a 30-minute show. Turned out to be a one-hour show. We're at 59 minutes right now um, because most of the feedback was just Talk about it as long as feels natural and however long it goes, people are uh, said they're happy to just listen to that. So whatever, we're, we're still adjusting. Uh, ping me uh, on email or social media or whatever to give feedback.
And uh, the quote for the show this week, in all affairs, it's a healthy thing now and then to hang a question mark on the things you have long taken for granted. And read that again. In all affairs, it's a healthy thing now and then to hang a question mark on the things you have long taken for granted. This is by Bertrand Russell. Thanks for listening. I will see you next week. All right. Thanks again for listening. And please be sure to go to danielmiesler.com slash newsletter to get a copy of everything we talked about. And if you like the show, please pass it along to your friends. I'll see you next week.